This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pause, and this is a fat-friendly space. Friend of Maryland, I share some new scholarly texts about fatness. I chat with Michael Lowy, a fat scholar, and I spotlight a poem by Simone Person about BBW porn. I'm excited to share some information about two new scholarly books about fatness. While I'm not entirely sure if these would fit within the field of fat studies, they definitely would be fat studies adjacent or fat studies uh, complementary. The first is an edited collection by Heather Brown and Nancy Ellis Ordway. Now, Heather and Nancy actually did a recent fat studies moo on the topic of fat bias and um, healthcare settings. It was a fantastic session. And this new edited book called Weight Bias in Health Education – Critical Perspectives for Pedagogy and Practice is phenomenal. Uh, it's over 200 pages and the contents include material around uh, the need for better education around fat stigma and uh, treating fat bodies with care. It has stories specifically about fat people's experiences um, and often, unfortunately, getting poor care. It's a really excellent text um, that is very much meant for kind of healthcare providers and um, healthcare educators, but is also really useful for the rest of us. Um, In the book description itself, kind of online, uh, it talks about that this is an interdisciplinary volume grounded in a framework that challenges the dominant discourse that health and fat individuals must be improved through weight loss. The first part explores the negative impacts of bias, discrimination, and other harms by healthcare providers against fat individuals. The second part addresses how we can fatten pedagogy for current and future healthcare providers, discussing how we can address anti-fat bias in education for health professionals and how alternative frameworks, such as Health at Every Size, can be successfully incorporated into training so that health outcomes for fat people improve. This text, y'all, seriously, I am so excited. Um, so you can get your hands on this now. I will say, though, um, this is a academic text, so it's been published by Rut- Rutledge, which means it's stupid expensive. Um, the ebook is somewhat reasonable at $70. Like that could be something that you treat yourself to or maybe you ask for from a loved one for like a birthday or Christmas. But one of the best ways to get your hands on academic texts like this is to ask your library to get a hard copy edition uh, that you can then check out and you know use and read and make copies of, of what you want. The other scholarly text that I'm really excited about, the other scholarly text that I'm really excited about is entitled Lizzo's Black, Female, and Fat Resistance, 
This is being published by another academic text, um, Paul Grave McMillan. And this is out by Naya Pickett-Miller and Genny Plattenberg. Now, Naya Pickett-Miller is a um, fat black scholar at Tuskegee University who has uh, published on other topics such as this. But as far as I know, this is the first time that they've published uh, uh, specifically around fat resistance. So I'm super excited about getting a copy of this this text. From the book description online, um, it says that this book explores a tale of two narratives, Lizzo's self-curated fat positive identity and the media's reaction to an unbashedly proud fat black woman. This critical analysis examines how Lizzo's cha- how Lizzo challenges fat phobia and reconstitutes fat stigmatization into self-empowerment through her strategic use of hyper-embodiment via social media. And the rhetorical distinctions between Lizzo's self-curated narrative via social media and those offered about her in print media. So that book sounds fantastic, and it is already available. Um, again, like the other text, because it's a scholarly text, it's expensive. So I think I paid um, I don't, probably around like 80 for the, the hard copy, so a, a little less than the other one, which is great, but still a lot to pay for a book. So I would encourage you to – Go online and pull up your local library um, website, and hopefully they've got an online form that you can use to request books for them to order to have. And you can request this new one from Miller and Plattenberg. That's Lizzo's Black Female and Fat Resistance. Today is Dr. Mike Lowy, an associate professor of clinical psychology at the California School of Professional Psychology. Dr. Lowy is also a fat and LGBTIAQ activist. Dr. Lowy, Mike, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Oh, when I saw and heard the name of the show, I, I jumped on it immediately. I've known Maryland for maybe close to three decades, I think. Uh, we met at NAFA, National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. We were both on the board at the same time in the mid-90s, I think it was. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, how I found NAFA was in the most unusual way, I think, or maybe not. I, I, was, I was 30 years old. I'm, I'm 69 right now, today. And... Um, at 30 years old, I had spent most of my sensuous life either feasting or di- or dieting, and uh, and mainly because my parents were big dieters, especially my mother, and you know also loved to eat, <laughs> so loved to eat Jewish foods, and so we go go to the deli and just get buy the whole place out. And then another time I'll open the refrigerator and there'll just be a stalk of celery and a head of lettuce in there. <laughs> so I guess I'll say I, I've been, I went to many diet doctors. I grew up in Los Angeles and I, I went to a lot of diet doctors and, and started taking amphetamines prescribed to me before I was 10 years old, for sure. Um, and I have to say, I lived 30 years in a bubble of 
never ever having even the thought or heard the any words spoken about being fat or 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 whatever euphemism was in, in vogue in those days um I only heard negative things and that if you're fat by definition, you have to diet and you have to try to lose the weight. And I did many times lose weight and gained it back plus more and felt like I was a personal failure. Uh, I think I felt like from my parents uh, who loved me a lot and, and praised me about, accomplishments or qualities of my personality that they liked but I never I always felt that being fat trumped all of that other stuff that I could never be um, what they wanted me to be as a fat kid or a fat man so I turned on the television one day and Phil Donahue was on which who was a uh, talk show host like Oprah style right and he um there were some supersized women sitting on the stage looking beautiful and talking about NAFA and its mission and 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 about living a full and and glorious life as fat people and that the sort of threw off the shackles of, of diet. They talked about a lot of the stigma. And, you know, by that time at 30, I, I was already, I was already a gay activist. So I had that mindset of, you know, this is not a personal problem as much as my parents would like me to think so. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, a, 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 you know, a public issue and a, and a problem in society. Uh, that sort of just hasn't caught up in some way. Um, and I mean, Mike, how many years, how much time elapsed between the very first time you were introduced to like a, a fat politic worldview and when you went on the NAFA board? Um, let me see. I guess maybe 10 years I think, or, or may, yeah, maybe 10 years. Um, I was blown away, though. It just blew my mind to, to hear the words that I think it was Sally Smith and a couple of other people were, were saying. So it's so intelligent. And so it so made sense. And how could I never have even had an inkling of a thought like that? Being around a lot of feminists and, and, and just, you know, and, and doing the gay activism that, that um, uh, I, I felt kind of like, well, how, how, how has this been a secret and why, why has it been kept from me? But <laughs> I immediately was drawn to it. And I did participate in NAFA events uh, for a few years and, Trying to think if it was, you know, everything seems like 10 years ago to me. You know, whatever you ask me, well, about 10 years, you know, <laughs> at this point, 
I can't. I'm trying to think if I that was thirty and like like nineteen eighty ish, and I was on the board in the nineties, maybe the early nineties. So, yeah. Um, when I when I got uh, when I was on the board, I introduced the lavender coalition within NAFA, um, and you know, I, I felt very warmly received in that way, you know, and um, it was just, you know, I met, and I said, that's where I met Marilyn, and she has just, I mean, talk about brilliant, and having ideas that nobody else has ever thought of before, that's Marilyn Wan, so I really love her. <laughs> So Mike, talk to me about how you then started to bring that into, into your scholarship, into the, the teaching work that you were doing in the academy that you're still doing in the academy. Um, you know, talk to me about what that looked like. So I've been teaching counseling and counseling and clinical psychology for my career since 94. I went to graduate school in, at UC Santa Barbara and, um, got a job teaching at San Diego State, and I taught in a master's program in counseling there for about five or six years, and then moved to a doctoral program, a visiting professor at University of Missouri, Columbia, for a year. And then, and then from there, I was hired to direct the program, the counseling psychology program at the University of North Dakota. And that was quite an experience to be growing up in Los Angeles. And then I spent seven years at the University of North Dakota. I was uh, directing the doctoral program and then chairing the, the department. And uh, then I was recruited to come to San Francisco to teach in CSPP, which I was very aware of California School of Professional Psychology. They're, the school has been a leader in psychology for, for decades. And I mean, they started in 69. Um, and they needed a program director. I said, well, yeah, okay, I'll be the program director and I get to live in San Francisco. And actually right now I'm in beautiful, sunny Oakland, California, just across the bay from San Francisco. Um, so I, I just presented um, an elective, an elective unit for the doctoral program, the PhD program, and um, the curriculum committee accepted it. You know, and it was the the class is on uh, health at every size and uh, sort of health at every size slash fat studies. I kind of, and so at one unit would meet generally on. Uh, let's see, one uh, one weekend, Saturday and Sunday, um, all day, and so it's kind of a intensive in that way. Um, and we actually, I co-taught it with my now husband, Nat Pyle, who's a sociologist here in Oakland, and um, uh, he also is a fat study scholar. Um, and so he, we published, uh, you know, I published a couple of things and then we published a couple of things together. And 
uh, he studied the bear movement and, and the, uh, the fat ex the men's sort of fat acceptance movement. Um, and from there, I, I, you know, we just, we would present this material again, everything from, uh, you know, health at every size and then spending time sort of brainstorming, how will mental health professionals use this material? How will you as a mental health professional use this material? And do you think you will have any client or many clients who don't have weight issues? Because you're, you're sadly mistaken <laughs> if you think that because most people in the United States have weight issues, have issues with their body, have body image because the culture promotes body image negativity. And, and um, even though that's not going to be generally the thing they're coming in for, sometimes they might come in and say, I, I want to lose weight. I can't do it. You're a psychologist. Help me. But most of the time they come in for something else entirely. And once you develop a relationship with this person, it'll come out their feelings about their body and the feelings about uh, you know, being a large person, um, or, or even at an average size person, or even a very small person, right? I mean, everybody, if you, you, you know, you either, it feels like it goes from being chubby to anorexic, a sort of, you know, that, that nor, nor, who has normal weight, you know, people are seem to be judged about their bodies and their weight constantly. I certainly felt I, I, I kind of don't feel it as much now because I've been, I feel like I have an, like an armor against that. I recognize it. I recognize where it's coming from. And again, it's not my problem. <laughs> you know, it's the other person's problem. So we got, we got to cover a lot, a lot of the, uh, you know, medical and psychological literature related to, uh, weight and weight loss and, um, you know, talking about, oh, psychologists have to or often uh, do um, screening for people getting bariatric surgery. Often they want, the doctor wants the person to see a psychologist first to make sure that, uh, that they're mentally prepared for what's going to happen, which is very dramatic. And I mean, it generally results in very dramatic weight loss, come, uh, you know, coupled with nonstop, uncontrollable diarrhea and gastrointestinal problems, and and very and uh, almost always gaining some of the weight back, uh, you know, in the first several years, even, and usually gaining it all back eventually. If you, you know, just uh, it's they they claim it as a permanent fix and it's 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 a temporary fix to a problem that isn't there you know yeah uh, mike if if there are um, people listening who are keen to learn more about kind of the scholarship this that you've done in this this area um is there something specific that you would direct them to or perhaps a place they can find you online to find more I, well, if you, uh, I do have a, 
like a small profile website on the um, Alliant International University, A-L-L-I-A-N-T, International University. Uh, that's California School of Professional Psychology is now under the auspices of Alliant International University. And so um, you can look me up there and uh, it'll, it'll send you to a few or of my articles or presentations and, um, and then it, from there it'll be easy to find more. Fantastic. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a, a real chat to, to chat with you um, and to, you know, hear more about your very long history uh, involved in, in this fight for fat civil rights um, and the many important contributions that you've made. So thank you. You're very welcome. Spotlight today is a poem posted on Protean on September 6, 2021 by Simone Person. The poem is entitled, BBW is one of the most popular search terms on porn sites. Quote, fetish, noun, 1A, an object believed to have a magical power to protect or aid its owner. As in the miracle of thigh heat, holy dark between breasts, soft mound of belly and ass, The trouble with protection is how easy it is to lose. One day, I was a doubtful girl shape, and before I knew it, I'd swollen to wicked. The full of me, cause for lust and loath in equal measure. Twin flames on forever looped. 1B. An object of irrational reverence or obsessive devotion. When I was nine, my pulmonologist said he'd like to keep me on a deserted island with nothing but grapefruit to eat the need to solve the problem of fat girl before she's too big to keep on a leash. I was 28 before someone loved me without crafting some exception for my body. 1C, an object or bodily part whose real or fantasized presence is psychologically necessary for sexual gratification. There is no beauty in being desired. It's an empty love. You're only as good as how easy you are to break. An ex once admitted, Yes, he was a devotee to big women. We are the only ones plentiful enough to slake his thirst. There's just so much of you. I feel like I'll never be able to touch it all. Porn deals in taboo. The act of wanting so much you turn to hate it. How it unravels you. Makes you forget all the astonished names of God. I am tired of men building me an altar. Sick from their thickened prayers for my arrival. But not more than I am at myself for always coming when they call, end quote. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at AOL.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing the show is B.B. King with The Thrill is Gone.
support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.